Our second lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 21, verses 20, uh, 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds, because they regarded him as a prophet. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, one of the things that is really critical to the Protestant tradition is the understanding that everyone in and of themselves is supposed to be an interpreter of Scripture, that you should be developing an understanding for yourself of what the passages mean. And nonetheless, I generally get this question all the time. People come to me with, with a passage and they say, what does it mean? Now, the problem with this question is that there are many more layers to the answer than you might think. See, the passage this week is one where at one level there's an absolutely easy answer to the question, what does it mean? I mean, we have a story. We have a story and the landowner wants the rent paid, sends servants to collect the rent, and they beat the servants, they kill some, and then the landowner says, well, they beat up all my servants, so let me send my son, and they send the son, and they kill the son. So he sends people, doesn't work, sends his son. Okay, at one level, that's what it means. It's that simple. It's an allegory to the prophets and to Jesus. So if you want to just understand the story at the simplest allegorical level, that's what it is. The owner sends the prophets, they beat some prophets, they kill some prophets, and so finally the owner says, I will send my son, who is Jesus. Great. End of sermon. We can all go home. That's not actually enough. See, if we stop the meaning at that point, if we take the, the text and simply say, okay, that's what it means, we haven't 
actually done anything of meaning to us. See, all we do at that point is we say, okay, we understand that, and we can be very self-righteous about it. And then we can sit there and say, since most of the people who are in church on a Sunday morning are, are Christian, not everybody, but, but most people are, you can sit there and say, well, I'm not like those horrible people in the story. The religious leaders in the story, they attacked the prophets and then they killed Jesus and, and that's not me. I accept the, the scriptures. I accept the prophets. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so we can feel very self-satisfied about it. And then the passage will have done nothing for us. Instead, the question that you always ask on top of the question of what does it mean is, what does it mean for you? What does it mean to me? What does it mean in terms of how it's going to affect my life? How it's going to change the way I think about things? What does it mean for me now? What does it mean when I go into my life tomorrow? What does it mean when I go back to my job? What does it mean when I go home? What does this passage have to say to me? And that's actually a tough question. See, what happens in this passage is the religious leaders are very upset as soon as they realize that Jesus was talking about them. The story didn't bother them up to that point. The story was fine. It only begins to bother them when they realize, oh, wait, wait, wait a second, Jesus. Now you're, hitting, you're getting close to home here. It sounds a lot like you're actually talking about, about us, about me. And at that point, they get upset. They get upset because it's really natural for any of us to get upset when somebody tries to deliver critique. I mean, we're fine with criticisms of other people. We're fine with criticisms until you, you know, you've always, I mean, we've all been there, right? Where, where a friend of yours is talking about something, and then suddenly it dawns on you, they're talking about you. Been there. It's not a comfortable place to be. And at that point, we have a tendency, we have a tendency to react defensively. We have a tendency to lash out. We have a tendency to say, I'm not really comfortable with how close to home that's feeling. And so we try to shut the criticism out. See, what we do is we attack the messengers. It's often difficult to separate the message from the messenger. I don't like the message, so I'm going to vent at the messenger. I do it all the time. It actually takes a lot of willpower not to do it. It takes a lot of, of willpower to say, oh, wait a second, excuse me, I have to step back for a minute and realize that what I'm doing is rejecting the messenger because they've made me feel uncomfortable with the message. This happens a lot in the church. We're in the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning. Thousands of congregations across the country. And I'll tell you this, there are a lot of people who chose the church they chose on the basis of finding a preacher who wouldn't challenge them. There are people every week who quit their church because they got challenged. Because they heard a message that somehow called them on their stuff. And they didn't like it. Now they couch it in terms of, well, I didn't come here to feel bad. It's true. 
You didn't. That's why we talk about the gospel hope. But it actually starts with realizing that we need a Savior. Our improvement begins with the understanding that we need Jesus. And we don't need Jesus because we're so perfect already. It's because we have things that we need to fix in our lives. Both individually and collectively. But like I said, tons of people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it in their church. They don't want to hear it from their partner. They don't want to hear it from their boss. They don't want to be open to the critique it takes to get better. But if we aren't open to critique, then we're going to be like the people in the story. And, and Jesus says the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. If we aren't open to the difficulty of the message, I mean, they didn't want to hear that the rent was due. They didn't want to hear that they had an obligation to give produce back to the owner. And so they attacked the messenger. But in so doing, they became people who produced no fruit. If we close ourselves off to the critique that faith has for us in how we choose to live, we will not be people who produce fruit. And sometimes those challenges get right to our core. Sometimes those challenges boil down to us having our identity rooted in something that we have placed above our faith. That instead of saying that my identity is rooted in Christ and my identity is rooted in doing what Christ wants me to do, we're going to put something else above it. And by the way, if I were to make a list of all those other things, I would offend every single person in this room, and some of you would make a list that would offend me, because we all tend to do that. But we have to decide that being better, that producing fruit, that doing what God wants is worth the critique. I guarantee you, if you have never had a coach or an instructor who made you better and never criticized you. Doesn't mean belittling you. Doesn't mean putting you down. And, and that's the beauty of our faith. We have a God who does not belittle us. We have a God who does not devalue us for, for the sins we've committed, for the mistakes we've made, for the potential we failed to live into. That is not how God looks at us. Yet God does offer critique. And we have to be like, not like the people in this story. We have to be willing to listen to a messenger that we would rather reject. If we aren't willing to listen, we don't get better. We're seeing a lot of it this week. After what happened in Las Vegas, such a horrible, horrible tragedy. And, and by the way, I am not saying that I've got an answer. It's a complicated situation we are in. Okay, There are no simple answers. If I knew what it was, I'd be offering it. Complicated answers. But one of the things that you're probably noticing in the wake of it is an inability of people to talk to each other. 
an inability of people to listen to what other people have to say on the idea of what might make things better. And like I said, I'm not offering a specific solution, but I will mention one story from this week that touched me a lot. It was a heroic story. It was in the Washington Post. It was talking about the fact that in the past, medics had a very simple policy. We don't go into the area where the problem is until the shooting has stopped. Seems like a pretty wise policy, okay? Once the police have the area secured, the shooting has stopped, then we go in. Then they learned that people were bleeding to death in that time. And so, apparently, Las Vegas medics had been training with the police. They had been training under live fire conditions learning to do their work with the sound of gunfire going off over their heads, with the police trained to form a protective bubble around the medic so they could go into the field and treat people while the shooting was still going on. And they put that training into use during this. And I read this and I'm thinking, wow, that is incredibly brave. And I'm also thinking, I'm horrified that we have to train medics that way. I'm horrified that it's considered to be a best practice that we are going to train civilian EMTs to work under fire. And I don't have an answer. But I have a resolve that that is not the kind of society I want to live in. I have resolved that that is not the way Jesus intended us to be as a people. And we have to have that kind of resolve that we're going to figure out a way forward. And we're never going to figure out a way forward if we aren't willing to listen to each other. Somewhere out there in the confluence of different ideas is something we can do. There has to be. And it's probably a lot of different things. And probably each of those things will challenge someone's identity as to what they think is more important. But we have to listen. We have to be willing to listen to the different points of view of what might move us toward a solution because we decide that where we are isn't where we want to be. And that's where we are as people of faith every day. Every day I don't wake up thinking, oh God, isn't it awesome? I'm already as good as you could reasonably expect me to be. No, I wake up every day convicted that I'm not and hoping that God will show me a way forward. And I'm sure that I am rejecting nine out of ten suggestions God gives me. And I'd be a better person if I was a better listener. So would we all. And then... Another piece of the story that kind of gets lost in the story. You would have hated to be one of the persons who was sent to collect the rent. 
but you need to be willing to be the messenger who might be rejected. We have to be better listeners, but we also have to be willing to speak up. We also have to be willing to have our voice be heard as a force for what is good, for what is right, for what is better. We have to speak truth to power. We have to speak truth in the face of what is wrong and call it out as wrong. And that will generally be unpopular. It will open you up to criticism. It will open you up perhaps not to a literal physical beating, but certainly to a verbal one. But it has to be worth it to you. Because we have to work toward what is right. And that means being a voice for what is right, for what is good, for what is loving, for what is compassionate. We're called to do that. And it's risky. But if we are not both vocal and better listeners, where will we be? We'll be stuck right where we are. And there's something about that which we also know from human history. When you get content to be stuck where you are, you don't even stay where you are. You go down from there. It happens to every society. It happens to every individual. The minute we stop trying to be better, we start to get worse. So we need to be filled with resolve, to be willing to be honest about our own shortcomings, both individually and as a community, and then be willing to listen and to speak that the world we leave to our children and our grandchildren will be closer to what God intended. Amen.